Welcome to the Magic Hour, a safe haven for lost stories and curious folk. Today, we are so excited to have our friend Caitlin Gemmel on the Magic Hour. Kate is a writer, an artist, and magical witch who has always something mystical in the works. She's always full of surprises. Her work with folktales and mythology, as well as her relationship with nature, have always been a grounding point for me personally, and I am really glad you get to meet her. Pixie and I both have had the pleasure of working with Caitlin as we unearthed our stories, a contemplative course that Kate designed. You can find her work on Substack as Musings from a Selkie Witch. She has two books of poetry, True North and Spinning Hair into Gold. Her work has also been published in collections of Tales of Our Lives, Fork in the Road, Ministon Project, uh, Zine, yep, sorry, Rue Scribe, One Sentence Poems, and we'd love to set the tone, actually. We'd like to start with a poem and then get into the magic that is Kate and her working process. Welcome, Thank Kate. you so much, you two, for having me here. It's an honor to be here. I'm going to start with a poem from a fairy tale anthology called The Wistful Wild. And this mm. one is called On Becoming Briar Rose. Tiptoe into the woods at dawn, quietly, so as not to vanish the magic. Walk barefoot on the moss and pine-littered ground. Listen to the bird song. Do you hear blackbird, cuckoo, and thrush? Place bird seed in the palm of your hand and offer it skyward. Stand so still you fuse with the earth. When a bird lands on your arm, speak to it softly. Make your voice a song. And most importantly, know you don't need mastery of a sword or a warrior's aggression to be strong. Kindness and a loving heart are the most powerful magic of all. And some women were born to be doves. Hmm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Stand so still that you become fused with the earth. Mm. It's a good way to start. All use that, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. The grounding earth connections. Mm. Yeah. And I really like hearing you read as well. You've got. Me too. You really make sure that the words have their own honoring. Yeah. It's a different experience reading it aloud from just reading it to yourself in a book. Right. I actually think I've never heard you read it aloud. I've just oh, read really? through your books. Like I yeah. have your books and I've read them, but um, it's a whole different experience hearing you read it because I get to kind of hear how you hear it in your head. It's really neat. Yeah. People have been encouraging me to share that more, like spoken yeah. poetry. So I might yeah, I like, in that direction a bit. I like how Substack lets you very easily um, add audio. Yes, yeah. this is true. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> you've got a great voice yeah it's time to do it yeah <laughs> so with us grounded into the earth can we know a little bit about you Kate um sure. maybe we can start with kind of formative experiences and things that have influenced you to get you where you are today sure so my goodness there are so many that was kind of a difficult question for me to come up with um because there's just so many you go back, I mean, I have dual citizenship. Um, I've moved around a lot. I've traveled the world with my family. Um, there's connections with people and places that help shape me into the person I am today. But I say what comes to mind most is that since early childhood, 
a love of stories was instilled in me. Because mm. I grew up in a literature-loving family, and we spent countless hours reading aloud or reading to ourselves. And I found myself in characters I connected with, characters such as imaginative Anne Shirley, the sociable introverted writer Betsy Ray, the witch and healer Juniper, which I mm. think you are familiar with, Pixie. I love that book. Me too. The practical enchantress Princess Alonwi, and the wild boy who talks to animals from a secret garden. Mm. So I'd say that more than anything, this is the love of stories that has contributed to my overall personality and my life purpose. That and definitely magic. Totally. What is magic? Ooh, that's a good question. I see it as kind of the life force, honestly. It's like it's available to everyone. It's in everything. It's um it's what the same thing when you create artwork. It's like where the inspiration comes from. It's a magic that comes through like when you're in the flow. Yeah. And there's ways to tap into it and to channel it and to conjure things into being. But it's the energy is always there. It's in everything. Yeah, and I that just flows right into the thing I wanted you to speak a little about. You, you work in a variety of mediums. Mm -hmm. You work in, you write, predominantly a writer right now, mm -hmm. but you also work with fibers. You work um, with needlepoint. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very infused with that magic you speak of. Um, could you talk about how those mediums intersect and how the magic kind of gets weaved literally oh, right. into your work? Well... I think so. I studied art and design at Bournemouth and Poole College in England. And when I was there, I dabbled in many different mediums. Um, I think fiber art spoke to me even then the most, but I didn't really know what to do with my love of wool and silk threads and other fibers. So I ended up specializing in photography. But my earliest creative medium was definitely writing. And to this day, I think of myself as a storyteller. Mm. No matter what medium I work with, I am essentially mm -hmm. telling a story with my creations. Um, so that and casting spells. And that's mm. kind of has worked its way into my fiber art, into these um, embroideries that I do, into these like stitching my poetry into clothing. Each one is a spell. So it's like the act of stitching, but as I'm doing it, I'm creating magic. And yeah. I'm putting it um, a certain intention into this work of art. Your grandmother's so spider. I like mm. a spider and spider is very important to me. Yeah. yeah. I just want um, to respond to something that you just said. Yeah. And sure. I feel really passionately about this. Um, that for a lot of people when, or it could be said that storyteller, storytellers and storytelling is an active um, energy, but mm -hmm. um, the meditative process of finding stories, listening, um, remembering, um, crafting those stories before they are shared that's the kind of pivotal work that happens before the action and that's I feel like that's where really really powerful storytellers actually reside most of the time is in the in the sensing in the meditating Absolutely. in the remembering and that's not like a super productive or um, yang state that's super yin that's true. Even for me, like in terms of it's, there's a difference between writing poetry and writing stories, um, even though poetry can be stories too, but like when I, it's a different process, like for me, when I'm writing poetry, it's almost like I'm in the flow and the muse is speaking through me and the words just pour out. Whereas with 
um, writing a novel or a short story, there's this sense of having to dream first. Mm-hmm. And that's like as equally important to me as like actual the actual physical act of writing. There's so much time spent just in the dreaming of the story into being. Hence why I reckon that the needlework and the textural crafting is so healing and wholesome for you because you're Absolutely. able to be still in that space. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Pix. Go ahead. Oh, you didn't interrupt. No, that's fine. That's beautiful. Um And I kind of wanted to, I'm trying to like stay within this, like in like a flow with our conversation, but I'm thinking like when you're making these things, can you think of, is there like one, I know this is a challenging question for someone who loves literature, but is there one fairy tale (laughs) or story that you would say is the core story uh, for you when you're making things? Is it maybe aligned with eras of your life? Are there ones that have, you've gone through or is there one that you're always turning to? Ooh, That's interesting. Yeah. I know that you had asked this question like later, like so it's similar, but this is like a slightly different take. Um, I would say for the act of creating, it would probably be either the goose girl story because she's essentially, she's a witch in the story. She conjures the wind as she's combing her hair. And to me, that's sort of, that's what I do. I'm definitely like, I'd say like I work with the elements and Mm -hmm. I often, like I used to sing to my child as I pushed him in the swing. And as I was singing, it would always, always make the wind blow without fail. Like, and we could even cause it to rain just by the act of pushing in this swing and singing to him, it would rain and the storm would come up. So I really relate to that, to the goose girl story, but also the, um, what is it called? The six swans, the seven, seven mm. swans, seven swans. Yes. Mm. That one too. That one's very important when she's Beautiful. actually like making the, yeah, the magic happen with the, the swan cloaks. Have you heard the Sufjan Stevens um, song, seven swans out of curiosity? I don't believe I have. I don't think I have either. I should look so into it. Yeah. haunting and delicate. I'm definitely linking that song. I mean, yeah. Ruto and I realized we both had connections with the story. I'm now thinking that when we revisit that story, which we're thinking of doing, maybe you should come on for that. Oh, <laughs> because, that'd be wonderful. Um, yeah, because we're kind of, we keep revisiting the story and seeing where it, how it resonates with us in different periods of our lives. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. That's really cool. Um, all right. Let's talk about, I still think, let's talk about your dreams because I, I think that's a huge part of who you are. You shared that like your dreams are really connected to your creative process, I think is what you've said. Mm-hmm. And you've been I having did. some pretty cool ones. If you'd like to share some of your feelings and thoughts on dreams. Sure. So I've, I'm someone who has had a dream journal since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Recording my dreams, analyzing my dreams has always been like a huge part of my life. That's awesome. And I'm also someone, I kind of hesitate to use the word psychic, but I definitely have had a knack for dreaming events before they happen or just having intuitive flashes about people and situations, like knowing things that are, um, sometimes it's just the mundane, but other times it's something really important. Um, I also have very vivid dreams. I dream entire stories complete with characters and plot. And Mm. many of my story ideas have come to me through dreams. Mm. There's this book called Dream Tending 
that I would highly recommend that it kind of works on the premise that when you are dreaming, you're actually, it's like very shamanic. You're actually visiting other worlds and that there is a way to work with your dreams and um, actually learn like important insights about your life through like you dream something and then you go back into a guided meditation and you like meet these characters from your dreams and you ask them questions and it's just a really beautiful process um that's very cool see, what else was I'm i gonna a say a big fan that? of that <laughs> yeah me too yeah so i think also like when you're talking about lately i think you mentioned about my dreams how i've been working magic in my dreams yeah yeah, so this is something new. Um, I've been a witch my entire life, but it wasn't until about the age of 12 that I realized that there was a word for what I'm doing and that I discovered all these books on witchcraft. And that's when my journey really began. But it was only recently that I have discovered, at least this new discovery for me, was working magic in the dream worlds. And that's been very intense. <laughs> And it's been very empowering. I've um, recently, there's someone in my life who had been directing a lot of anger towards me. Mm. And I, in this dream, I actually worked a spell, a protective spell, where I was stitching into fabric. I was stitching like these magical words. I don't remember the words now, Ooh. but I was stitching them with blue thread. Ooh. And it worked as this protective talisman. Oh, wow. And since that dream, the situation has greatly improved in my mm. life. And like all this anger that was directed at me, like this person's a lot calmer now, things are going better. So I feel like maybe I just reached a point in my magical journey where spell work is effortless, mm. um, even in the dream world. <laughs> Congratulations. That's <really> empowering. <laughs> that's beautiful. Do you think everyone's capable of reaching that point? Do you think that that's something people can kind of find on their own? I do. I think it's something that it's available for everyone, but it just might not be something that everyone thinks about doing, or maybe some people just aren't as connected to their dreams as others. Um, like I've really been delving into the dream world since a young age. And so I think that's why this was just the next step available for me. But I think it's yeah. something that anyone can learn if they yeah. are interested in it. It feels I like an we... important, sorry. It seems like a really important uh, way to connect with yourself and be more self-aware and to, it's like a, something you really want to, I think it's important for people to find some version of it because it's your inner voice. And yeah, to, and to add to that, I think if we expand our definition of dream state, then that's also a more inclusive definition because if we just categorize dream as um, in bed and REM state, then we're mm -hmm. missing out on daydreaming or being in a um, state of of movement and dream state which is totally possible as well so I think Absolutely. if we broaden our definitions like and static dance and such it's all part of it and also the making of artwork I mean True. for me I do feel like I go into a bit of a I think we all have some version of feeling like we're in another dimension not to be mm -hmm. too dramatic, but it, it is when you're in that state of creating, it's a different energy. Mm -hmm. It yeah. is pulling from your intuition, right? So I really liked this question that you asked um, in our outline, uh, Pixie, around why myth and folktales. Yeah. 
Like, why are they important to you? I know you answered in terms of like, it's always been there. It was like a family ritual. But if we were to zoom out kind of into like a categorical, like why are folk tales and fairy tales and myth important? What's your take on that, Kate? Yeah. Sure. So I think for me, um, personally, I came to the um, realization that personal mythology was something that everyone should delve into when I was undergrad and I was, became obsessed with Joseph Campbell, Mm. became something of a hero for me. Um, And he said something like, I don't know if I'm saying this quote exactly, but it was something like, what we are seeking is the experience of being alive. And he also said, myths are clues as to the spiritual potentialities of human life. Yeah. So, Myths and folk tales can give us clues as to the magic that is available to us right here, right now. They're stepping stones for exploring our internal and external landscapes and living a rich, full, enchanting life. Without stories, my creativity would be non-existent. Hmm. Anytime I create, I am weaving different magical threads together into a story. Hmm. So I think folk tales and myths are important for everyone. They help us make sense of the world and our place in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of imagine them as like boats carrying our um, emotions and our fears mm-hmm. and our love. That's a and beautiful our... idea. Yeah. And they're full of powerful symbols that mm-hmm. everyone can kind of pull from personally. Like yeah. there's meanings. You can look up, you know, if people look up online, oh, I dreamed about a bird, you know, and you look up and the bird was doing this and you look up what it was doing. They've assigned meanings, but I think going even deeper, you can, if you really tap into your own self, you can start understanding what it means to you, which is very empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Because different, I mean, there's definitely universal symbols that people like tend to agree on the meaning, but so much of it is, is like depending on where you are in your life and Um, how you personally feel about that particular animal or other symbol. Yeah. Like snakes, for example. Some people might see a snake and they think, oh, the snake is something evil, right? But for me, like I see a snake and it's like it connects me to that mama earth energy. Mm. They're like the closest to the earth. They're like crawling along. They can hear like the heartbeat of the earth. So it's like a different experience for me. Like if I dream of a snake, it's usually an empowering dream. It's usually like about energy where someone else, it might be like t- tapping into their fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or secrets. I feel like one dream I had was like th- like the, t- the term snake in the grass mm-hmm. came to my mind mm-hmm. late, the minute I woke up. I was like, well, that was a lot of snakes. And then the phrase snake in the grass came to me. And I was like, oh, the snakes are kind of symbols of, of hidden secrets. That's true. But yeah. never again was, was a snake appearing in my dream in that context. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of checking in with yourself after you have um, a potent realization is really important too. Cause like the, the meaning will be current and contextual. Absolutely. So it's so intuitive flashes you should pay yeah. attention to. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a perfect segue to, can you share a little about unearthing your story, that era of uh, when you created that really cool course that Rudor and I got to test run with you? Of course. That um, was, can I just please for a moment, just gosh, it is 
one of the most perfectly crafted self-reflection journeys I have ever participated in. Oh, Bruno, thank you. That means so much to me. That it makes just, me so mwah, happy that mwah, it helped you in your own personal journey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, again, going back to my undergrad school days when I first took classes on mythology and became immersed in the world of Joseph Campbell, I think that's what started this idea for unearthing your story. I could see my life as if it had been made up of different chapters or scenes that have been pieced together. Mm. So eventually, after exploring personal mythology on my own, I developed a course, Unearthing Your Story, that helps people make sense of their own story threads by going over key events in life and by noticing which stories they were drawn to at different life stages and how these patterns, plots, and archetypes might be relevant to their own life story. So it, um, the actual course is mostly like very, um, you're delving into your internal landscapes. You're doing journaling exercises. You're um, going back to childhood days, teen days, 20s, whatever age you are. You're going back to like different key stages in life and noticing which stories were important, which characters were important at that point. Mm-hmm. And then noticing an overall pattern in your life, which have stayed with you, which were like maybe like for a particular life lesson, but they're no longer relevant. Mm. And then you just kind of weave this together and you find your personal story. Fascinating to like, because you don't, this is going to be kind of funny, but I just saw the Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a new one? See, I'm not even in that world at all. I didn't know there was a new one. I loved that show when I was really little. I did too. My it's brother, my younger brother, brother did. It's just funny. It's a little levity, but like I, it's a mythology. I mean, it's a story. Yeah. And because I'm in this mindset now, partially because of your course and because I also had my connections with Joseph Campbell at one point and why we do this podcast the way we do, of course. I was thinking, why do kids love this so much? You know, And mm-hmm. I loved it. I highly recommend seeing it. It was amazing. Me and Josh loved it. It was just – but I realized I was having – I actually cried. I was having an emotional reaction because I used to – I would always be April and mm-hmm. like and like I had this boy I had a crush on and I was in kindergarten and he would like save me. And like I was – and I don't remember which turtle he was, but there's something very um, – I don't know, like youthful and passionate because they have so much love of life, those characters. Mm-hmm. And um, they're they're tender and they care. And um, the, the creatures are scary, but they're kind of funny. But it was like they revisited it and you could tell the people who made it loved it as children. You could tell that they were celebrating it in this new way. And I w- and there were little kids and there were people giggling. I was next to two adults laughing. They were so happy. And I thought to myself, this is a mythology that's lasted and is being revisited again. And people are reapplying mm-hmm. it to their lives as adults, even for something as like we might say silly as the Ninja Turtles. But like they're teenagers, they're mutants. So they have to deal with being different. Oh, you know? absolutely. And they're ninjas, which is like really cool. <laughs> you know, like it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's everywhere. You don't realize it, but it is. I'll have to watch this because I used to watch the Ninja Turtles cartoon with my brother and we just loved it. He was just into it especially, but I was, I kind of got into it through him. Yeah. So I can totally see how it would be um, just kind of take you back to childhood, but also like see like how people today 
are following our footsteps, how things that were relevant then are still relevant now. Yeah. Yeah. Such a part of the fabric of um, the world. And I think you really touched on that with your course. That's why I think we loved it so much where you just were reminding us to pay attention to what resonates and to kind of explore. And being prepared to be surprised with what comes up. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you considering ever bringing that back or is that kind of on the back burner for right now? It's on the back burner for now, but it is something I would like to bring back. It's still very important to me. And I think it's something that's needed in our world today. So I'm kind of just needing to find the space and the time to dedicate to this. Yeah, I would do it again. I would too. I feel like it needs to be because you go through chunks like pretty quickly in your life where you're like, whoa, that was an era. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It really helps to go back. I mean, even now I find myself going through the unearthing your story material and saying, okay, well, I need this again. I need to go back. And I just remembered another key piece from when I was 15, for example, or just a certain phase in life. I can like over time, I'll like stumble upon a book at the library or someone will say something and it'll trigger something in me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a missing puzzle piece about my own personal story. Yeah. When you talk about missing puzzle pieces, and um, it's, it's calling me to ask you, how do you relate to ritual um, with those puzzle pieces, you, with these stories, with these realizations? What then do you create a ceremony with those things? How do you create ritual in your, in your life, in your walk on life? Hmm, that's an interesting question. So... As far as creating ritual, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily creating ritual around these stories. Um, Maybe I am. Maybe I hadn't really thought about it in that way. I think ritual for me is just something that I'm called to do no matter what. Like it's something, it's not even necessarily about me. Sometimes it's about honoring the Mother Earth. Sometimes it's about like honoring like where I am in my life and um, what season I'm in. And just kind of connecting with that. So I'd say in that way, that would be part of my personal mythology because the wise woman or witch has always been one of my main archetypes and one of the characters that I've connected most with in books and films. Um, Yeah, I think maybe stories just become a part of who I am. And then that kind of goes into my rituals as well. Mm. Because you're kind of speaking to rituals to observe passing of time and like there's there's like the wheel of time kind of ritual. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I just want to speak to the fact that we're on opposite hemispheres. So it's fun to experience um, two things at once. <laughs> That's true. Because you are going into winter now. No, the way around. We're going into spring. Yeah. Going into spring, nearing the end of winter. Yeah. That's right. So like when Pixie and I gather, like we'll either be polar opposites and like kind of revel in the fact that, you know, she's melting and I'm freezing (laughs) or we'll both be in a liminal space of flux, but going into something different. But she and I are in our most common moments in those liminal transitional seasons. And it's kind of fun to mark the difference. I didn't realize I didn't notice that, but that's cool. You've noticed that that's the way it is. Honey pee. Wow. That's really cool. Oh, time is trippy. Uh, <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> uh, so, 
Yeah, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about writing on its own because um, I've known Kate, I've known you a long time. I've known mm-hmm. Kate since she walked into the co-op I worked in and w- was always buying little cans of cat food for her cat. <laughs> That's right. She, um, and she, <laughs> I had this painting of a dragon and she was the only person who could see it. <laughs> Just like I remember. And I remember you had, you had this revelation, I think a while ago now, where you were like, I'm a writer. And that is what I should be doing. And I, mm. and you did it and you, you damn did it well. Um, <laughs> had so many cool things happen and you've been working really hard. And so I was wondering if you'd like to talk about a little bit about that journey, how you knew, when did you, when were you like, mm. I should be doing this? So first of all, I love it that we've known each other so long. I know. <laughs> since the beginning of some of my creative journeys. Yeah. Um, so when we first met, I had recently returned to the States after living in England, where I also spent part of my childhood. Um, I had been studying art and design at Bournemouth and Poole College. So I think at that time, visual art really was my main focus because I was still in the flow from that. Um, But writing has actually been my true love for much longer. I grew up journaling and writing letters to loved ones, scribbling stories in notebooks, writing and performing plays that we then would perform with a group of friends. So even when I create visual art, I think I'm doing it from the perspective of a storyteller, if Mm. that makes sense. Yes, it does. does. It's um, also a form of magic for me, my writing, and also visual art. They're both like in that way. It's just another way of creating spells through Mm. art, through visual art or through writing. Um, So lately, this has also expanded into my fiber art, where I stitch my poetry into clothing as a way of casting spells. And these pieces are wearable art, but also spells for helping the person wearing them to accomplish something, such as um, their healing journey, for love, for protection. Um, I recently like, was commissioned to make a mermaid for someone who wanted it for their sailboat to like help them return home. Oh. Safe and <laughs> and that was like, you know, my first, actually my first commissioned piece. So it was a really big deal for me to have that. Um, but yes, writing has always been my first love. Like mm. I, um, as a child in England, I, one of our school assignments was to write a book. And at the end, we had to do an author bio and put our school photo in there. And I remember thinking at the time, I was only seven years old, that I thought, I'm going to be an author when I grow up. That mm. was my thought, even then at seven. And then it's kind of continued with the books that I love, the characters that I connected with were often writers. Mm. Betsy Ray and the Betsy Tasty books. I just really connected with her love of like scribbling away in her journals, but she'd keep them private from other people. But she had this dream of being a writer. So I really connected with that. Wow. And I know you identify with Selkies and uh, you're Mm -hmm. using the Selkie Witch. And I I wonder, it's almost like you kind of lost your connection with it. Maybe you never lost your connection, but you weren't focusing on it. Was it kind of like coming home to yourself when you suddenly was like, I'm going to focus on this and commit? For on my writing journey, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think part of it was, I mean, I, I continued writing in other ways. That's something that I never really died out, even if it was just writing letters or journaling. Yeah. But as far as like becoming serious about writing is my path. I want to share my words with the world or like the small yeah. population, whoever finds them basically. Taking um, it seriously. That was basically just a few years ago. I, maybe it's been 10 years. I it's been a while now. Yeah. This, um, there was a call for submissions for this memoir writing contest for like um, the 
one that you shared at the beginning, mm-hmm. Pixie. I'm even blanking on the name, Tales of Our Lives, Fork in the Road. Was that mm-hmm. the one? Yes. So that was the first, actually my first published work. I joined this contest and she accepted my work for it. And so my um, memoir vignette was included in this. And that was kind of the start for me. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can get my words out in the words out into the world and they will be published. I just have to keep at it. I have to persevere. Beautiful. That must have felt so good. It did. It did at the time. And it's interesting how even now, like I've had some more successes with writing, but each time at first, I think this is it. I'm moving forward. I'm doing things. And then the self-doubt hits and I'm thinking, wow, I'm not really where I want to be. And I think you can probably relate with that with art as well. It's like this... You're pushing forward, but you don't always acknowledge that even the little wins are worth celebrating. Or you might at the time be like, oh, this is great. I did it. But then there's always this, I want to do more. I should be doing more. And then you just keep doing it. (laughs) You know? Exactly. Yeah. You just keep going. I'm starting to just kind of keep that momentum going regardless of the highs and lows. Uh, I kind of want to like just say that you – after all this time and all this hard work, you have been published in a pretty major publication. Do you want to talk about that? By the time this launches, um, it will be out in the world. That's true. So um, yeah, I just had my first, what I would call like major success. I um, It was a complete surprise. I submitted work and then completely forgot about it. And it was during a very rough time in my life, actually, like something rough happened. And then the next day, I received this email saying, congratulations, your work was accepted. We would like to include this in our autumn issue. It's for Belly Grace Magazine, which is actually a fairly major magazine. It's available in most newsstands. And it's one of my personal favorites. And that more than anything, more than the fact that it's a fairly large magazine, the fact that it's one that I personally love mm. and really connect with. And it seems to sum up my whole philosophy on life because they're all about magical living like finding the magic in the ordinary, living a life of enchanted simplicity. And that's their whole purpose. And it's beautifully curated and it just suits your work so well. And I'm so like proud, excited, just, and I just really wanted to celebrate that on the podcast because I think it's so much. You deserve it. And it's, I hope more of that, more of that. More of that. (laughs) I just need to find more (laughs) venues that are like this. Yes. It's so um, fascinating to me because um, yeah. my personal stepping stone for me is going to be when I self-publish, and that'll oh, feel like wonderful. a that'll feel like a huge personal success for me. Absolutely. Do you have a deadline for that, or like, or something you're working towards? I had a rough idea that it would be um, a year, a calendar year. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of midway. That sounds like a great time frame. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I think like you, you you're are yeah. self-published babe. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and we will have links to all of those books that you can get. And they're beautiful. And I have them on my bookshelf. Right. Thank you. Do you feel like there's something that happens for you when the stories and the creations that you have are transferred from a digital space mm. into um, book, print, page? Mm. Yeah, it is kind of a form of magic, isn't it? It's like thinking of Caridwin with her cauldron, for example. I mean, that's what comes to mind for me. It's like this process of you have this magical cauldron in front of you. You're pouring all the ingredients in. 
and you're like working on it as it, you know, it kind of manifests out into the world eventually becomes this Mm. beautiful thing and it becomes available for other people. Yeah. That's kind of what I, how I was trying to describe why I feel like it's important to have like a physical book that you can hold Yes, in in a world that's pushing for, um, you know, a seamless transaction. (laughs) You know, I've been noticing lately where I live that more people are reading print books in cafes. And I don't know if this is just a new trend or if it's just something that's like, because we live in a college town because it's like a really, you know, there are a lot of kindred spirits around. But I've been noticing this when I go downtown lately that I'll stop into coffee shops and people are reading actual print books. And it just makes my heart so happy to see that. And I feel like it's something that even with digital, people are going to want that physical book. There's something about a physical book that you can hold in your hand, turn the pages. If you have a paperback, you can highlight it, write notes in it. And it just becomes, it becomes a a work of art. Really, there are certain books that I've read again and again, and I have notes in it. I have passages that I've highlighted, and it becomes a conversation between the person reading it and the author who wrote it. Mm -hmm. And even like um, different publication versions are really important for me, like getting getting the right version and cover of the book that I need. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I've done that. I've For been, some like, books, I have multiple edition. versions. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I have, like, five different versions of Lord of the Rings, so. That makes sense. Like, and deal. The Golden Compass. I have, like, multiple Philip Pullman versions of the mm-hmm. same book. And I'm like, why are you doing this? But I just <laughs> love it so much. There's the, that's the talisman. I mean, that's why it's – Yeah. I think that's why us three flow effortlessly into these topics mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we do have, like, the art of making as yeah. part of the – and when I say making, I mean like the kind of physical medium, um, like these those talismans that you're making as well, Kate. Like the, yes. these are, there is something um, that can't be separated from the conversation around that which is unseen until it's spoken, that which is intangible until you make a culminated energetic version of it as object. Like there's... There's the connection there, right? That you can exist in magical, unseen realms Absolutely. and still be a manifester of something and, and, and cherish an object. Yeah. And um, have you ever thought about, I'm sure you have, like you're a photographer too. I, I've seen your, mm-hmm. I have some of your photos. Like, have you ever thought of doing a book with your artwork, like side by side with the text? Or is that not something you want to do? I, I just, I feel like that could be cool. It actually is something that I've I've played around with this idea, but I haven't really to the point where I I know like which photographs I want to pair with which poems, for example, but that is something that I would like to do eventually. I love that. To kind of like gush over your work. Yeah. I think it was True (laughs) North that I felt this way. Was it Spinning Hair or True North? I mean, I think they both kind of have this vibe, but um, they like, they were visual they're not just like a static um you know list of phrases they there's all little tidbits of thoughts and dreamlike states and they are they flow one into the other and it's almost like a novel but a poetry novel it's an experience yes. it's like mm-hmm. a conjuring of a moment it's, it's very interesting it's very unique Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think it's, um, for me, because storytelling is so important, that transfers to poetry as well. 
And I think, especially with chapbooks, it's it's best to have a certain theme, kind of group poems together that sort of do tell a story in a way. Um, and so that that was what I was going for was, you know, kind of in True North, it was about homecoming or finding yourself or sense of place yeah. and finding the magic along the journey. Yeah, highly recommend purchasing that book. And I was also kind of, I wanted to like, put in here, talk a little about art movements, just as we're talking about your art style, because uh, Ritter and I just kind of explored art movements in one of our episodes. And I was thinking about you, Kate, you know, are mm-hmm. there writers and artists that you feel like you're kind of channeling or that you work with spiritually in a way that you've pulled from? Do you like mm-hmm. thinking about art movements? Are they helpful to you? So I think that art, I do love art movements. First of all, I absolutely love them. I feel like they're kind of a glimpse into what a group of people were experiencing at a certain time in history. And I think it's a way when we see these works of art, we can tap into that and feel like we were there in a way. We can kind of sense like what these people were going through just through viewing their art. Um, I think Art Nouveau, Art Nouveau comes to mind for me mm. as one of my personal favorites and just one that comes to mind immediately when you say art movements. For some reason, that's the one that just is most yeah. immediate for me. Um, I think that um, I think at the time for like Art Nouveau, it's like the, it was very fresh and new at a time when the artists were tired of historical movements. And they wanted something different. They wanted to infuse the world with a new energy. And it just felt very organic and sensual and freeing. Yes. And I think that's the lacking in the world right now. I don't think that we have a key art movement right now. Yeah. I think there are people that are maybe trying to make it happen. I know you are, Pixie. I know there's like you've been playing with this idea. And I'm sure you have it too, Rudo. Um. I don't know what it would look like or be called exactly, but I do like, um, you've come up with a name, Pixie. Did you want to share? Yeah, the spiritual uh, symbolist folk art, but I think it's too much words. But it, right now I'm just kind of listing the things that I feel like I'm, I think, I mean, I put all of you in some version of that too, because we are all, we would probably be lumped together in a movement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and we're taking control and doing it ourselves instead of having someone else name it later. <laughs> Yeah, and I think like with those names, you really are referencing other like past movements and like how they kind of blend together to create something new. Yeah. And I think it sort of um, reflects how people today are wanting to return to a magical way of thinking and tending the earth in a sacred and respectful way. Yep. But I don't know like exactly what that would look like. Yeah, because words are so loaded because we've reached a pinnacle. I mean, every moment is a pinnacle, but we have reached mm-hmm. this culmination of history where every single word has thousands of years or hundreds of years of historical reference points. And history itself is is a little bit more accessible. So every word that we choose has this kind of like loaded capacity. Yeah. Um, so when we start thinking about art movements and we try to explain ourselves to other people, I really stumble on my words because everything that I say is not quite the entire picture. Hence mm-hmm. why we were like so passionate about trying to create like an, an art movement um, to protect ourselves so that we aren't overly pigeonholed or overly, um, you know, uh, 
turned into kind of a two-dimensional version of where all of our reference points are. But also I feel in defense of us and a lot of the people I, I align with creatively because Ruto and I were talking and I was talking to you, Kate, about, you know, folk art and how mm-hmm. it really is in this low level, you know, kind of description where it's very, it's, it's a, there's this elitism and it's at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's actually not to be egoic, but I think it's the most important. I think <laughs> because so like, it's the core of everything. Even if you're making something else, you're pulling from that authentic place of existence mm-hmm. and it's, mm-hmm. it's important. And I, I kind of want to elevate it to where I think it should be. And so I'm like, yeah, we're folk artists. Yeah, yeah. we're symbolists. Like, you know, get on this. It's great. You know, like, and and even as an art teacher, I'm always, uh, in some schools, there's kind of an elitism around the arts and crafts movement. And if Mm -hmm. someone's doing something in that way, it's kind of scorned. And I think that's, that's not cool. I think that that's very valid, like Art Nouveau kind of disappeared. And that's tragic because I agree with you, Kate. I think we need that. We need that feeling that idea that philosophy more infused into our culture I think it's really part of why things tend to be so dark these days yeah. well, it seems like there are a lot of people moving towards this idea but yeah. it's just they're not really coming together yet yeah <laughs> for some reason the idea of um, the words kinship or kindred came to me mm. as you were talking about this yeah yeah I feel like it's like these these kindred spirits these you have feel a, kin- a kinship with these other people and maybe that can somehow work its way into the name for the art movement. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're big fans of collective consciousness. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And also uh, even like the word kin means that you're welcome, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not just that we recognize that we're carrying a collective energy, but also you're welcome in this space for yeah. those that have yeah. not felt welcome. Absolutely. Exactly. That's exactly what I want to have happen because it would have really, when I think about how I felt not valid and doubted myself for years, I don't want anyone ever to doubt their voice. I think it's such a damaging abuse Mm -hmm. and I want that to never happen to anyone, you know? So whenever someone says, I'm not an artist, I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's not true. (laughs) <laughs> everyone is an it's really not true like it, it doesn't, doesn't matter maybe you don't draw but maybe something else yeah. yeah you probably cook beautiful meals or you might you know really exactly. design your home creative or... expression is yeah. it's important for everyone yeah and creatives are everywhere you have yeah. creative scientists creative doctors Absolutely. Yeah. creative engineers like art and science yeah. art and math they always go hand in hand science has to be creative that's how you figure stuff out you have to think of stuff and people will laugh at you and then suddenly oh they were right you know, you gotta look into the sound. void. Yeah, black holes do have sound. No, they who, don't. Who specializes yes, in they the void. do. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so excited about that. Um, yeah. So, the next era of this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a platform, Kate, for you to maybe share some thoughts on, for example, um, how do we find magic? Mm. You know, you're you're kind of the the goddess of finding the wonder in the everyday. Oof. Can you talk about that? So I think as far as finding magic, the most important thing is to be curious, to be curious about the world, to wonder about just, well, also to like have the ability to be still and pay attention. Mm-hmm. 
and to be curious that these are all key concepts. And I think it's something that a lot of people in the world today struggle with because we're so like tapped into our phones and technology and people aren't really, I mean, some people do obviously still, but it's a lot of people don't get out into the world and just sit beside a stream and just be still and listen. Mm. And this is what's needed. You Mm. need to have time to just be still and reflective. And that's when magic happens. Magic doesn't happen like in the chaotic moments. I mean, there's a, a form of magic there too, but there's this most prominent magic that happens when you can be still and really pay attention. And it's about seeing like the world differently, seeing how, wow, look at the light on the side of this pine tree or look at the beautiful flower and how the pad- the petals have scattered and they form this interesting pattern in- amongst the grass. Mm. It's like really seeing things, seeing the beauty in the world. And at- if you can see the beauty in the world, then you are more able to experience the magic as well. I just got chills and I got a little emotional. I just think in the career I'm in right now, I try to do that. I try to make moments of quiet, but I just, you just gave me an idea, which is I'm thinking when school starts, I might bring them outside and say, I'd like you to write down just in this spot, what you notice. That's a great idea. Because cities are rough and this city is a little rough. And I had a student who was, I was trying to teach him photography and he, he was like, uh, there's nothing magical in Homestead. There's, there's nothing magical here. And I said, but you just took this amazing picture of this house. And it was, it was a great picture. It was like symmetry, the color. I was like, find the magic here. It's here, I promise. That's what being a photographer is about. And he started taking more amazing pictures. And that's the beauty of creating is you find this moment and you're like, that's a portal to another place. Yes. That's our role. That's our power. That was beautifully said. I love what you just said. Oh, good. Yes. I mean, it's about like, I mean, it's available for everyone, but it's just a matter of being still to experience it Mm. and wanting to experience it. That's the first mm-hmm. step. Like you're not going to experience magic if you don't want to experience the magic. I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes it comes unannounced. It does. It's like a nudge from the universe. It's like, you need this right now. And it's like, yeah. kind of forces itself on you. But in most, most of the time, it's something that you really have to just tap into on your own. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, was thinking, we talked a little bit about rituals. I, I know that the wheel of the year and nature is very important to you. And do you, is there anything you feel called to share about that, about your connection with the environment, you know, how that comes into play when you are finding magic or writing mm-hmm. or making art? Yeah. So I do notice that my creativity kind of waxes and wanes with the seasons. Um, I think this is common for a lot of people. There are periods of, for instance, in summer, we're all nodding. I tend to actually lose a lot of creativity because it's just the the active energy all around. There's just so much going on. It's hot and humid, and that kind of weighs me down. So I don't really feel as inspired to create in summer. 
I am inspired in this kind of winter when it's quiet and I can be reflective. And I'm inspired in spring when there's this like new burst of energy and the world is waking up again. And I'm inspired in autumn when we're kind of spiraling inward again. And it's like we're going into the dark half of the year. And it's Mm. this like also like Samhain time, Mm. which is probably, I think it's about the time that this is going to be released, right? Is Samhain. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time is for me when... um, the veil thins between the worlds and I have these connections with the ancestors and the magic is so prominent then. And also the spring in the spring, like sort of Beltane season, like May, the end of spring for us in the Northern hemisphere. I know it's different. It's like opposite where yeah. you are, Rudeau, but the concepts yeah. are the same. Like the Silent time is May. For us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So for me, like creativity definitely waxes and wanes with the seasons Um, summer for me is really just a time to rest and I don't tend to create as much in the summer. I tend to be more active in the world and then I store these experiences and ideas and I use them later. Yeah. Nice. Love it. Ruta, do you have any, um, questions that are coming up for you? Mm -mm. I feel like... (laughs) I feel like I asked the burning ones already. Yeah, I think I'm I'm winding down. I have a few more little ones. Uh, so like tips for writers or artists finding magic as your resource. You've already said, you know, still stillness, mm-hmm. listening. Uh, is there anything else that you would say to someone who feels this calling like you and they want to get started or start focusing on it more? On their creativity or yeah. magic or both? I'm kind of lumping them together, but we can talk about them separately. But yeah, creativity and or magic. Yeah. So I say besides being still and just listening, um, I mean, that's kind of the key one. But there's also this um, conversation between yourself and spirit or creator, whatever you want to call it, like whatever that energy is out there, the godlike energy, um, for want of a better word. So there's like this way of asking for what you need and asking for guidance and not in a way of like you tell me that's what my life is going to be I feel like we have choice and we can direct the outcome we can influence it like as witches I mean that's kind of what we do we're working with these magic threads and we are weaving our lives into being Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's also a set pattern that is established before we were bor- are born, like a sacred contract, the idea that you you have a sacred contract, you've agreed to do d- different things when you come to earth, but you have the ability to change it slightly as you go about. You have the ability to make decisions and say, no, I want to do this instead for a while. But eventually you might circle around and you find yourself on the path that you're meant to walk. And I think as you are doing this, it's important to establish a conversation with the divine and work together to collaborate, to say, yes, this is what I want for my life, but I need a little guidance. I need a sign, ask for a sign and see, like, it could be something very specific, like if I'm on the right path or if I meant to do this thing, by the end of today, I will see a blue jay feather, for example, or I will see a blue jay. (laughs) And then if it appears, it appears, and that means that you are on the right path. 
If it doesn't, then that's a sign too. Maybe there's something that you're missing. Maybe there's, and that's what you need to ask next is what am I missing here? What do I need to do? Hmm. Working with tarot or oracle cards or reading tea leaves or any form of divination is also a way of accessing your inner knowing. I think Mm -hmm. that's important. Um, And also paying, we talked about dreams earlier, paying attention to your dreams, starting a dream journal, seeing what comes up. Yeah. Asking for signs from your ancestors. Maybe visit me in a dream. Do you have advice Mm. for me? Will you come visit me in a dream and tell me what I need to do? Oh, these are great prompts. They're really great prompts. Good. And I also think just watching you, I think it takes a certain level of courage in the society we're in to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And I think you're a really good example of doing it anyway. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that that's a really great role model. I think that uh, it's inspiring that if you're feeling this like pull, this is your truth, your voice, then you should follow that. It's really important. And you're going to have highs and lows, but just keep having that conversation. collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to follow your path, follow your bliss. As Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something else I've been thinking a lot about, which is when you said collaboration, we're always, all of us are always on the same wavelength, but uh, we're not separate from nature. We are engaging with it all the time. It's communicating. So you're always in collaboration. You're responding to your environment, whether you realize it or not. And I yeah. think that that's something that we all recognize. And so like mm-hmm. you were talking about the seasons and and also kind the of, internal and external landscapes, like your inner world and the outer world and yeah. how they merge. That's why listening is so important because it has things to share with you. So I've always been talking about my work that I feel very strongly that Ireland has collaborated with me on yes. the things that I make. It's hard for me yeah. to explain, but that's how I feel. And I know that's Kate, how I feel about the forest and yeah, with the forest. In general. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably always carry that place with you. And I know Rudo has connections from multiple places. And I think that we do pull those things from the ether, the energy, and we use it like an art material. Mm. It makes me think of recently, I, um, I had a dream about my grandma. Well, not even, it was more of a waking dream. It was remembering something that happened from when I was probably one year old. I actually, she was living in the Bahamas at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned how to walk. I learned how to walk yeah. on the seaside <laughs> by the sea in the Bahamas. So the sea is always called to be talking about Selkie again, like the Selkie oh, stories yeah. and how important they were to me. The sea has always been my home. It's always called me. But this memory returned of like going into seeing her, like seeing her. She died when I was two. So I don't have very clear memories of her. But this memory returned very recently like just working through these personal stories these personal Mm. story threads of being in this room with her and seeing her face light up when I walked in the door and she saw me walk for the first time so now this is like a core memory that has returned and I think it's partly through dream work of like having her come to me in dreams so I became more familiar with her through dreams and now these memories are returning And, and and can we just say when you say these story threads and you use threads 
to make your work. It's just mm-hmm. so delightful. Okay. So like the, the, the connection of like, I'm weaving the story threads. I'm actually weaving, you know, it's just so wonderful. Yeah. The synergy. That's <laughs> yeah, my form of spell work using threads. Yep. Yeah. And for those who don't know, I realize we keep saying Selkie, but just a quick Selkie. It's a legend. Mm-hmm. It's like a fairy tale, but it's, Kate, do you want to explain what Selkie is just so people know? Cause we've mentioned it twice. Yeah. So, so there's Selkies, but there's also, we talked a little bit about this. Um, well, that was a different fairy tale, actually, the seven swans, but there's another one, the swan maiden. Mm. And it's essentially the same story as the Selkie story. Mm. Um, and the swan maiden, or the, yeah, the swan maiden stories, they, um, there's a group of, they're basically swans, but they can shed their swan feathers and dance as human women. With the seals or Selkies, it's the same thing. It's these seal women who shed their seal skins and they become women and they're dancing at the seaside. So both places have a connection with water. Both stories mm-hmm. have connection with water and mm-hmm. these water animals who can shed their feathers for their seal pelts. And in both stories, there's a man who comes along and steals the swan cloak or the seal pelt. And by doing so, the woman is held captive mm-hmm. and has to remain with this with their husband until the time when usually their child returns their skin to them and they can return to the water. So that is like a story that I think is important for everyone because there are all times and all of us have experienced times in life where we have lost touch with parts of ourselves, our creativity or whatever it is that makes us who we are. Yep. And by returning to the things that we love, the things that make us happy, that spark joy in us, we can come back to ourselves. We can come home to ourselves, return to the water, return to our creativity, return to our emotional states. Listen. Yeah. Find the magic because it's there. Yeah. It's really Mm. beautiful. So beautiful. Rudo, have I missed anything? I don't think so. This has been fantastic. <laughs> um, I would I would love to have you come back when we unpick what offering the Seven Swans has for us yeah. yet again. That would be wonderful. With our stories of... Seems like it's an important fairy tale for all three of us. It is. Mm-hmm. And um, is there anything else that you would really like to share, Kate, before we wind down that you feel like you must share? Um. I had mentioned something about a story that has been with me for a long time, which might surprise you, which is the Cinderella story. Oh, oh yeah. But it's not, I mean, it's, of course, the Cinderella story that we all know is one of the fairy godmother. Yeah. But the one that has become important to me is the Brothers Grimm version, Ashton Puddle. Rudo, did you know this one? I don't know this one. So in this do do? Cinderella story... There's no fairy godmother, but Cinderella creates the magic herself. Nice. She, her father goes off and it's kind of like the Beauty and the Beast story where he asks the three daughters, his two stepdaughters and Cinderella or Ashton Puddle, what would you like me to bring for you? And I forget what her two stepsisters say, but Cinderella says a hazel twig. Mm-hmm. And when her father returns with a hazel twig, she plants it by her mother's grave. And she waters it with her tears. 
-hmm. and it grows into this hazel tree. Hazel being the tree of wisdom. Yeah. In many, many stories, like Hazel is symbolic of wisdom. And she um, she basically says these cantrips or magic spells, spoken spells, that enable her to um, conjure these two white doves and these, these two white doves who help her carry out these tasks that enable her to go to the ball. So it's a much more, a very witchy version of Cinderella, much more empowering. Yeah. But I say like Cinderella is a story that has been with me the longest throughout my life mm-hmm. and both kind of in the shadow aspect of being like a little bit too much go with the flow, <laughs> letting people decide what is going to happen in my life. Yeah. Um, but also like that childlike sense of wonder and that gentle nature and that connecting with animals and just this kind nature that has always been important to me. And the idea of, yeah, you can make magic happen in your life. Things can be turned around in an instant. Also, Cinderella was my nickname in high school. So there's that too. Oh. Did you choose that or did someone choose it for you? Who was it for me? I was love that. We have girls and we had, I don't know who came up with the idea, but they said, let's all have fairy tale names, meaning like the Disney you know, they all went after Disney names, but they chose Cinderella for me. And I think it's partly because I have really tiny feet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think that was part of it. But, but also actually, just like that whole like aspect of, you know, I was, I was the quiet one and the sweet one. And I think that was why. Yeah. Quiet and sweet, but mighty. Yes, of course. <laughs> yep. In your own way. It doesn't always have to look the way you think. That's why I liked that poem you started with. Yeah. But there's strength in being gentle, too. Yes. And, uh, you know, on that note, I was wondering, did you have maybe a poem you'd like to read to kind of close down our sure our magic um, hour? So I actually came up with three, and they're all short. So if you don't mind, I can read all Please three. Please do. Okay. Please do. This first one is one that I actually wrote for a friend who has been a huge supporter on my Substack and just through my artwork and such. Um, so I have this thing on Substack that if you are a paid subscriber or a founding member subscriber, I will write a poem for you. So this was one that he said I could share. Um, it's called Asking for a Sign. When lost in the fog of confusion, the shadow of gloom, go to the seaside during the quietude of dawn or the magic gloaming time. Better yet, arrive at the witching hour. Embrace the dark and your eyes will adjust. We'll begin to catch the faintest traces of light. And just as hope simmers in your belly, the lighthouse shines a beacon, a reminder of your sacred contract with the divine, a message that you are never alone. That's magic. I love it. This one is Magic Threads. And I believe it is in True North. Black ribbons strung between bells. Rune traced with fire's remains. The spell keeps predators away. Hens safe in their hay. Gather roses, moonlight drenched. Sunny midday hour is best. Crush and roll each tender petal. Earth-shaped love-formed, red silk strung. Conjuring forever love. Blue thread mended clothing, infused with mama's warmth, keeps child's temper sweet, 
protects from all harm. Duckling soft cotton, three of them, braided as incantation is sung, the most versatile of spells, rendered magic by colors and words. So that one's kind of instructions too for if you want to know how to cast spells, work some magic, there you go. (laughs) Wow. And this one I thought I'd close with because we're talking about, I mean, all three of us are witches. Yes. And I thought it would be appropriate one to end with. It's called The Flight of Time, and I believe this one is in Spinning Hair into Cold. The witch's vanished evening, a haunted photograph loved dusty. Night slipping, streaming, time flies short. I chase the darkened paths, sometimes crossing a patch of tonight, scurrying away, my birthday vanishing pages, feathers blossoming late alongside sleeping places. The forest cawing enchantment, inside woken up dreams. So fascinating. You said something about feathers blossoming. Yes. That is a new concept. I love it. (laughs) Makes me think of the swan maiden again, feathers blossoming. Yes. (laughs) And your your swan cloak back. We have our swan cloaks on. We do. Kate, we are so happy you came on. This is quite a magical hour. Oh, it's been Uh, such an honor to be here with you too. Yes. (laughs) And we are so grateful that uh, you're all listening to us. Thank you for listening to this episode. In our show notes, there will be links for Kate's Substack. You can subscribe to that. We will have links for her books that are for sale. And we will link uh, where you can get Bella Grace so you can see her published work. Yeah, hold it in your hands. Yeah. Um, we've got more you. episodes. But yes, to, to mirror Pixie's sentiment, thank you so much for this time. Yeah. Thank and you. It, it, really is, it really is true to what you stand for that we say that we weave the magic of myth and fairy tale and creativity and friendship into this podcast. Yes. And um, we use music uh, entitled Whimsical Aliens for our um, intro track and outro track, which is written and performed by Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. And he also has um, a Patreon and a YouTube and we'll link that as well. Um, And uh, a, a sweet thank you to my beloved Bjorn for the editing and production of this podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. And we will see everyone next time. Thank you. Thank you.